Man, let's clap to God today. Let's applaud Him for who He is. Go ahead and grab a seat. I love whenever we sing. God loves when we sing songs like that to Him that remind us of who He is in our lives. That we're reminded. I love that part of that song. So many parts of it, but especially where it says, The one who reigns forever, He is what? He is a friend of mine. Do you know that? That God is on your side You are a victor in Jesus Christ. You stand victorious. That is your label. And whenever you you declare songs like that, when you're singing that, you're doing spiritual warfare. You're beating back the enemy. Um, We sang about it in the first song as we sing about Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, the demons flee. They flee. They, They run. They are terrified of who Jesus is because of how great and mighty he is. And whenever you sing that and you declare that in faith, it pleases God because that's a, that's a declaration of faith and in, in who God is in your life. I love that. I love that we are singing that to God, that he is faithful, that he is able, that he is our friend. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. That's what we're doing today. And that's how we worship God. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us because last week. I asked as we started and just talking about spiritual warfare in chapter six of Ephesians, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles because we're going back to that. But um, when we started talking about that, I just felt led last week just to ask how many of you are really feeling like you're in a struggle? You're really feeling like you're in a battle. I even asked how many of you are feeling like you're even discouraged a bit and you feel like maybe you have been defeated or you're being defeated and and, and, and so many hands last week went up when I asked that question. And I want you to know that it's, in, it's important that we understand who we are in Jesus Christ and that we understand that we are in a battle, but that we have been well armed for that battle. God has not said, just good luck with these battles that you're going to be engaging in. He has equipped you and you need to know what that equipment is. And we're going to talk about it today, and we're going to wrap it up next week in talking about that as we wrap this series up called Labels. But beforehand, here's, this is what I want to do. I want to ask God to be our teacher today. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. God, we've come into this place, and we are declaring these truths about you in faith, and we know that that faith, even in the midst of our hardships, when we declare that you are able, you are victorious, Lord, that you are alive, that nothing can defeat you, that all of these things, when we declare these things in faith, Lord, we know that that pleases you. And so, God, what we're asking you for right now, and I especially pray for my brothers and sisters who, who last week were very discouraged, who were discouraged and are battling discouragement on a regular basis. Lord, I pray that, one, that they would be reminded of who you are and who they are in you today, God. Encourage their hearts today. Lord, we ask you to be our teacher today. We, we need a word from you, Lord. We need you to show us, Lord, where we need correction in our life. And we also, Lord, want to ask you to be our encouragement through your word today. And so, Lord, be our teacher. We welcome you in this place as we open your word. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, welcome back for many of you that were gone on spring break. And, and some are still maybe getting back today. But we have a great attendance today. What a great way to start off the service with, with 15 new members joining our church. We have a newcomers class next week. We just continue to grow and we are so grateful and thankful for that. And uh, I, I got to uh, spend some great time with my family and I hope that maybe some of you did this week. Those of you who had kids and got to be off a little bit for spring break. 
that maybe you got to experience some of that as well. We, uh, we right after services last week, we just uh, got out of town. We went up to uh, southwest Arkansas to visit. Many of you know the McAllisters. They are a part of our church, and they've moved up there. And we went with uh, Linda and her kids and just had a, a great time just kind of getting away and making some great memories. And I was thinking as we were driving back, I was thinking, well, we did a little fishing. We shot guns. We rode ATVs. We had a campfire. We played chicken foot dominoes. I was thinking, man, you can't get any more of a redneck spring break than that right there. I'm like, that is as redneck. And, and I don't know that we used duct tape at all during the week, but we, we probably should have. But it was a great time, and I'm really thankful for it. It was just a great time of just renewal, and I hope that you got to spend some time with your families doing some, some similar things, just making memories. And so go with me to Ephesians 6. Let's get to work in God's Word here. I love history. I especially love uh, the history when it comes to World War II. I love movies when it deals with World War II. I love documentaries about that that often will bore my family to tears, but I love to watch them. I'm fascinated by all kinds of aspects of that war and just the heroism, and I'm also fascinated by some of the different uh, strategies that, that, that the enemy would use and that we would counter that with. And just, I mean, I'm just kind of fascinated, and I've always been by... Uh, by World War II kinds of things, and, and uh, I was watching a documentary the other day that was detailing a gross strategic error that the French made at the beginning of the war that ultimately led to their defeat and their surrender and their occupation by Hitler and the Nazis, and they were talking about what happened there at the beginning of World War II. France believed that they were safe and they were secure because of this 200-mile-long, what was called the Maginot Line, that bordered, we have a map of that, that, that so you can kind of see what I'm talking about there. Um, it bordered uh, the border between France and Germany there, and it was 200 miles of, of concrete and fortifications, and, and it was believed to be state-of-the-art, armed with heavy artillery and heavy guns, it had lush living quarters. It uh, had an under, uh, underground railway where supplies could be brought in and out. This was just an example of one of the fortresses that was there. I mean, they, they had it going on. They thought they were totally prepared for this. And, and really, military experts looked at this and believed it to be an impenetrable line of defense. And so the French, you could even say... Um, another way of putting this, they really, looking at their own military ingenuity, I think in some ways really kind of let their guard down, and we know kind of as history points back, we see that, that really they made some incredibly strategic errors, and they thought that this line was impervious to any kind of penetration by the Germans. And Now, the Germans did something, and this was revealed in this documentary, they did something that was was ingenious, okay, uh, and to be able to overcome and thwart these defenses. Now, this is going to blow your mind what they did, all right? Are you ready for what they did? They went around it. <laughs> That's what they did. They just went around it. They went through the Ardennes forest there and didn't try to overcome this. They just, uh, the French never thought that they would do that. They thought that that was just something that militarily would not be able to be achieved. But the Germans did. You know the rest of the story. Within six weeks, the French surrendered. And uh, they were conquered by the Germans. 
until we got involved, right? Good old USA got involved. Now the people of France still speak French and not German now. And there are a number of lessons to be learned as a result of this. There's also a lot of French jokes that could be made, but I will resist. Okay? But France fell in defeat because of their underestimation of their enemy. They didn't estimate or they they underestimated their, their enemy's intelligence and they also were not prepared, although they had great weaponry, they weren't quite prepared in the right kinds of ways to handle this. And they didn't adequately anticipate what kind of attacks that their enemy was going to bring against them. I would even say this, they let their guard down a bit. Their guard was down. And they thought that because of their resources and because of what they had put into this, that there was no way possible that they would ever face defeat. And as a believer, I think it's so important for us to recognize, as we discussed this last week, that we are in the midst of spiritual warfare. That it is taking place. That there's warfare that's happening even right now. Now, positionally, you are victorious in Jesus Christ. That is your label, is that because of Jesus and the grace of Jesus in your life, you stand already as a victor. There's no reason for you to feel defeated, um, but there are still going to be battles that are, that are happening, okay? And the enemy is still trying to take out as many people as he can. He knows that he's defeated. He was dealt a crushing blow at the cross and with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He knows that, but kind of think of it this way, like in the Persian Gulf, whenever Saddam Hussein entered into Kuwait and was was taking that area over. And then again, we got involved. And and what he knew that he was defeated as soon as we got involved. And what did they begin to do in their retreat? They started destroying everything on their way out. They set oil rigs to fire. You you remember all of that going on and all this, the, the oil refineries were all burning. And the enemy, our spiritual enemy, is trying to set as many fires as possible and wreak as much havoc as he can in all of your lives. And he hates you and he hates your family. He hates what God's doing in your life. He wants you to, to, to live a miserable, defeated existence. He wants to deceive you into believing that you are defeated. And so as a believer, we have to be careful that we should not underestimate our enemy's intelligence and his cleverness. Because he, And we don't want to raise him up today, but you need to not underestimate your enemy. You need to know your enemy. You need to understand his tactics and, and the weapons and the strategies that he will employ against you. John Stott, who's a great theologian, he wrote this, and I think this is wisdom for us to hear today. He said, a thorough knowledge of the enemy and a healthy respect for his prowess are a necessary preliminary to victory in a war. Similarly, if we underestimate our spiritual enemy, we shall, and this is where I think so many of us are, We shall see no need for God's armor. We shall go out to the battle unarmed with no weapons but our own, what does it say? Puny strength. So you need to understand and not underestimate your enemy. I I was thinking about this this week. I was thinking so many Christians last week, and I know that I battle with discouragement and sometimes even depression. But what I know about that in my own life is when that is happening, it's typically because I'm trying to fight the battles in my own strength. I'm trying to fight them without God's armor that he's provided for me. I'm maybe trying to control a situation. I'm trying to do it my way. I'm trying to, to strategize and think how I will overcome this and how I will defeat this. And, and I kind of lay God's armor aside, and then I just get whipped. 
And I'm thinking so many who raised their hands last week who said, Barb, pray with me. I'm really discouraged. I'm really battling depression. I'm, I'm, or maybe I'm not discouraged, but I feel like I'm on the cusp of that, and I feel like I'm defeated. I feel like I can't ever win. And, and one, we've not actualized the truth about being victorious in Christ. And two, I am convinced that many of us are trying to fight in our own power. Thus, you're getting whooped. And that's what happens. And this is what he would say. And we shall be quickly and ignominiously, you try saying that, okay, defeated. All right? Got it right in this service. Last service, I had to say it like three times. So we learn this. We shouldn't underestimate our enemy, but we also learn, as we discussed last week, that we are to be strong in the Lord's mighty power. That's what we learned last week. To fight in his power, not your power. You are not powerful enough to fight that battle on your own. And you don't have to. God has given you his equipment. He's given you what you need. You don't even have to be afraid of the enemy. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? And you need to know that, okay? So we learn that that through the Lord's mighty power, not through human strength, we find daily victory in our lives. Now, before we get into talking about the armor of God, what I want to do today is I want to talk to you for a moment about strategies that the enemy will use against you. And I've been praying for you this week that God would be your teacher, your encourager, and that he would show you maybe some of these tactics that the enemy is using against you and that you're falling, falling prey to. That he would begin to show you that how, this is how the enemy's coming against you. So when we begin to talk about the armor of God, then you will recognize where you have been weak and where the enemy is coming against you as a believer. And you will know how to use that armor and that weaponry that God has given you. We won't get into all of the armor of God today. We won't have time. We'll look at the first three pieces of that armor. We will close out with the last three pieces next week and close this series out as we turn towards Easter and we turn towards talking about the person of Jesus Christ, okay? And so here are some tactics of the enemy. If you're taking some notes, I encourage you to write this down because you need to know this. You need to be aware, Paul would say, of the enemy's schemes. You need to know this. And so here's how the enemy will come against you as a Christian, as a believer. I'm not talking about unbelievers today. Believers uh, or unbelievers, he will blind them. He will, he will uh, try to steal the word from them. But, but I'm talking to believers right now. This is what he's going to do. He will start by creating doubt in your life. He loves to create doubt. He wants you to doubt God and his goodness. He wants you to doubt God's power. He wants you to doubt God's concern in your life. And so he loves to create doubt. He did this with Eve at the very beginning when they were in the garden. The enemy in the form of a serpent came to Eve and and he began to question God before her and began to cause her to, to doubt God's goodness. God's holding out on you. God's not really as good. God's not really all powerful. And this is what he does. And this was so interesting. This week as I was driving back from Arkansas, as I began to, uh, as we were driving back, and again, this, I'm telling you, this was a redneck trip. My dogs were sitting in the back seat, two big black labs with my son. Okay, he was sitting with the dogs, all right, redneck trip. And we're, we're driving back, and, uh, and, and I'm just thinking about the whole trip, and we had a great time, enjoyed that time with McAllister's, and enjoyed that time with Linda and her kids. But I got to just be honest with you, as I was driving back, I was feeling a little melancholy. I was feeling just a little sad, and I'm just going to tell you why. I, I, uh, I was missing my brother-in-law. 
we would t- go on trips like this together when we would take our families and we would shoot skeet together. We would do these things together with our kids. And I was missing him. And I was thinking about him. And, and, and I, was, I was just kind of struggling a little bit at that moment. And not that we didn't have a great time. We did, okay? But, but I was just kind of thinking about that a little bit. Now, here's what the enemy will do. When, when a person experiences loss or when there's a disappointment, and I want you to begin thinking about your life, the enemy will seize that moment and that moment of weakness when you begin to experience something like that. And he loves to come in and magnify those certain things. And he loves to begin to accuse God and to accuse others. And he loves to create doubt. So here's what happened to me. Can I just be transparent with you? Well, I'm going to be because that's just how I am. As I'm driving there and I'm thinking about that and just kind of just lamenting that loss, this, this thought just, shot, just shoots through my mind at this moment. And I know you have felt this at certain times. You've thought this. If you haven't, I don't believe you. I think you have because we all face this at certain times. It's, it's just a doubt went through my mind. And here was the doubt. And, and I, I, I mean, it happened so fast. I mean, it really happened fast. And I, I'm, I'm dealing with that. I, I just thought, where in, the, where in the world did that thought even come from? I'm a pastor. What in the world is going on here? Now, this is God and his greatness because he knew exactly what I needed. And I, was, I, I just was like, I'm going to get that thought. Scripture says we are to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Okay? Thoughts will come through, to, through our minds, and, and it's not sinful to have certain thoughts. It's when we begin to dwell on them and let those thoughts run their course. That's when it can begin to turn into sin. Now, here's what God did for me, all right? As I had that thought, I'm driving down the road, and I, and I look down the road, and I see this big honking sign. I'm telling you, it's a huge sign that was on the side of this road, and this is what it said. This is what it said. And I just, as that happened, I just said, God, thank you so much. And there was no cute website. It was just, Jesus is real. That's all I needed to hear. And I just said, devil, get out of here. You know where those kinds of things come from. He wants to create doubt. When you experience loss, some of you have had just a distinct just disappointment that you're battling with and the enemy will seize that and he wants you to doubt your God. He wants you to doubt his goodness, his power. He wants you to think that God's not really in control and when you don't think God is in control, what will you try to do? Control and be anxious and all of this. And so God just blessed me. I'm not telling you you're always going to get a sign like that. I've never gotten a sign like that. Okay? But he gave it to me that day in his grace. And it was it was awesome because I, I was lamenting that. And then God just said, let me just remind you who I am. And I just said, devil, get out of here. Because I knew that he was trying to seize that moment of, of, of this doubt that, that passed through my mind. And you will have that. You're going to need in those moments what is called the shield of faith. We're not going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about it next week. Because the enemy will come and he will fire his arrows of doubt at you. You are to come in resistance with a shield of what? Faith. 
okay? And we're going to talk about that more next week. Now, he will also do this. He comes against us by motivating persecution. And some of you, maybe this is uh, what's going on. You've been ridiculed for your faith. You feel like everyone's against you. You're trying to live for Christ. You need to know that, that often the enemy is behind motivation of persecution in believers' lives. And John was going to tell the church of Smyrna this in the book of Revelation. I want you to see in chapter 2, he says, do not fear. Now, Jesus is saying this, okay? So you receive this. Do not, what does it say? Do not fear. What you are about to, now what does it say next? Uh, uh, Let me just ask you, are you going to suffer when you stand for Christ? Now, there will be false teachers that will say that you will not. Jesus said, you will be hated if you stand for me. They hated me, they will hate you, okay? And, and so Jesus is going to prepare this church and say, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Now read the next part with me out loud. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of what? Life. That is a reward for, for standing firm. In the midst of persecution. And he's saying, and, and so this is just one illustration of how Satan loves to persecute the church. He comes against, and why does he want to persecute the church? Why does he want to, to persecute you? It's one to create doubt and opportunities for doubt and God's goodness in your life. And he wants to separate you from your faith. He wants you to, to, uh, to undergo this kind of mockery and, and ridicule and hatred by the world because he is hoping that it will render you ineffective because you are discouraged and you have no peace and you feel like God has abandoned you. And, and what Jesus is saying is you stand firm even to the point of what? Death. You might even lose your life physically, but God sees and he will reward you eternally. He, he sees everything. Some of you, this may play out for you in your place of employment because you're going to stand for God. Others are going to think, maybe you're not going to be persecuted the way these believers were. Maybe you're not going to be persecuted right now like the believers in Laos where we go and we do work there where, where pastors are put in prison. Christians are, are isolated they are, and they are picked off. They are, they are murdered. I mean, these kinds of things are happening around the world to other believers. You won't quite face that here yet. Our, our culture is headed that way. And you better get ready. You better know how to stand firm and stand your ground when the world comes against you. Christian, the world is going to hate you. It hates Jesus. Jesus said that it would. And you need to be able to, to, to understand where that attack comes from. You know, So here's how it might play out for you. People are going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're a fuddy-duddy. They're going to they're gonna question, you know, they're going to call you a holy roller and Bible thumper and all these kinds of things in mockery of you or, you know, a Jesus freak or all. And, and, and those are forms of persecution. And, and so what is he trying to do for you there? He wants to get you to be ashamed of who you are in Christ and to not be able to stand up for, for who God has made you to be. And so Paul would say things like this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a power unto salvation, right? And, and, and so he comes against believers in this way. Now, here's another thing he does. He comes against us by trying to hinder our service. As you begin to be effective for Christ and you start serving the Lord in certain ways and you use your giftedness that Paul would tell you that you have in this great book of Ephesians, 
then you're going to find that as you are beginning to be effective, the enemy will come against you. You need to recognize that as an attack of the enemy and stand your ground. You don't just give up as soon as maybe you face an obstacle. You keep pressing through that and you stand your ground. Paul faced these kinds of obstacles and so will you. First Thessalonians, Paul had planted a church and these believers were getting discouraged. Paul needed to be there with them. And look at what he's going to say. But since we were torn away from you, does that sound like a battle and a struggle? That's what that sounds like right there. Physically, Paul said, since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Paul says, man, I'm in a battle. I'm trying to get there to be there for you. I'm trying to encourage you. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. Now read the next part with me. But what? But Satan did what? He hindered our service. He hindered our service. Satan is opposing what, what, what God is trying to do through the church and through believers and through you. When you start being effective as a believer, when churches get more effective in their communities, we should anticipate great resistance. You should anticipate this. Here's another thing that he will, another way and a tactic that he comes against believers. He will seek to infiltrate the church. He infiltrates the church, and he's really good at this in certain ways. And, and here are some ways that he does this. Let me just give you some sub points for this. He will infiltrate through false believers. You say, are there false believers? The scripture talks about false believers. The scripture talks about apostasy. It talks about these kinds of things. Uh, Jesus talks about how tares have been sown among the wheat, okay? And they look a lot alike, and there are false believers. And when phony Christians infiltrate a church, it wreaks havoc within that church. Why? Because of the hypocrisy factor. And unbelievers that the church is trying to reach out to, they look and they see, you know, maybe a false believer there that looks. You remember the enemy will come and he will seek to, he's going to imitate what looks right. He's going to pervert that. He's masterful at imitation. He's not going to come in this, this big scary kind of way. He's going to come oftentimes, scripture says, as an angel of light. And so this often happens, and there's a hypocrisy factor, and, and these false believers will often get into places of leadership within churches because they are not thoroughly vetted. And, and next thing you know, you have false believers that are leading churches, and here's another thing that you have that the enemy will use to infiltrate the church, and it happens all over the world. False believers often leads to false teachers, and false teachers conversely leads to false believers. Scripture speaks very much about false teachers. And he loves to get false information out into churches. He loves to confuse believers about matters of grace. He loves to confuse believers about what it means to be a Christian. He loves to, to distort the truth or take it and just pervert it a little bit. And so there's a perverted gospel that gets preached as opposed to the purity of the gospel. And and Peter talked about this. Look at Second Peter. He says, but there were also false prophets in Israel. This has been going on for a long time. False prophets. Just as there will be, what does Peter say? False teachers among you. There will be false teachers and you need to be discerning. What does this mean for you? This means you better know the word of God. You had better be studying the word of God. We'll talk more about that next week as we talk about the sword of the spirit. But are you seeing as I'm talking about these strategies, 
how each one or each pieces of this armor of God, whether it's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of peace, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the, the helmet of salvation. Every one of these has been given to you to resist and to stand firm against these strategies. But when you try it on your own, you're asking for disaster. False teachers come in and what will they do? They will cleverly just teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. And so there are false teachers. Are there false teachers today? Absolutely. They're everywhere. They're all over the place and you need to know the scripture. You need to know the gospel message. Here's another way that the enemy will will seek to infiltrate the church. He comes through division. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 4 of Ephesians. And it brings him great glee when he can turn Christians against one another. It brings him, and, and here's what we said a few weeks ago. I want to reiterate this today. When Christians will not forgive each other, and when they carry grudges against one another, we are falling into a tactic that the enemy is using. We are doing the enemy's work for him. This is what we're doing. And that's why Paul is going to say, no, bear with each other, be patient with each other, forgive one another as Jesus forgave. You see how all of this scripture flows together so perfectly? And then in chapter 6, he's going to be able to say this. He's going to say, you need to recognize this is an attack of the enemy. You need to recognize that if you are at odds with another person, and and I know that we get that way, right? Because we're people. He's going to say in chapter 6, you wrestle not, Christian, with flesh and blood. Your battle is is with spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what he's going to tell you. So get your eyes off of the person, begin to get them on Jesus, and you need to practice forgiveness. Now, another thing that he's going to do is he's going to come against you, and the tactic that he will use against you as a believer is he will seek to tempt you. He's called the tempter, and he will tempt us into sin. He may tempt you through your flesh. He may do it through the values of the world around you. But oftentimes he will also employ his demons against you to tempt you into things. Um, He tempts you to sin. He tempts us in different ways. Let me give you just some sub points of temptation. And, and, And again, this could be a whole series in and of itself. But maybe what you could do today is ask God to show you if you are falling prey to any of these tricks, to any of these temptations. And then you would know how to stand your ground against them and ask God to show you and you stand firm. You are to do what? He tempts us to trust in our own resources. He wants you to think that you got this. I got this, right? I got it. He wants you to think that you don't need God. He wants you to think that, 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 and you to get self-reliant and to get prideful and arrogant. He would love for you to trust in your own resources, in your own ingenuity, in your own ability to control, because he knows this, that you are not strong enough to stand against him on your own. And he will defeat you in your own power, unless you are strengthened by God's power and made strong and use God's armor. You can't handle Satan in your own resources. You can't. And, 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 and here's another way that he will seek to tempt us. He wants you to lose your faith in God. 
And I've seen this happen to believers within our own congregation that right now are isolated. They have been picked off by the enemy. We need to not be upset with them. We need to be praying for them. We need to be reaching out and loving and serving and do it. But I've seen it happen over and over again in every church that I have been in. As long as I've been in ministry for over 24, 25 years now, he wants believers to lose their faith in God and to doubt, as we said a minute ago, the goodness of God. Look at what Jesus would even tell his own disciples. Jesus would say this, Simon, Simon, who is that? That's Peter. I mean, this is the rock. Look at what he's going to tell him. Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you. Who's that? The disciples. He's going after those that are going to be effective. He has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not, what, fail. Because he knows that we are susceptible. He knows in our own power that we are weak. And this happens through disappointments, as I said. It happens through hardships. It happens through, in fact, one of the, one of the believers that has walked away right now uh, in our congregation that I love and I've been dialoguing with at certain points and have had a chance to visit. One of the things that was brought up was a particular loss that they viewed. And, and, and this is something that I recognize as a tactic of the enemy. And so they doubted God and they doubted his goodness. And he, will, he wants you to lose your faith in God. Here's, what he el- here's another thing or what else he wants to happen in your life. He will tempt you. And this is, this is big. You need to hear this. He will tempt every believer. He will tempt you into sexual immorality. Am I talking to the right people today? I am. I know that I am because he will come against you. He will come against your staff. He will come against people. I have watched Christians that I thought would never fall into sexual immorality fall for this and fall flat on their faces. He will tempt us into sexual immorality because he wants to destroy this area in our life, which is a gift from God to be experienced and be blessed through the union of a husband and a wife. And he wants to pervert that and he wants to destroy that. You will be barraged day in and day out with with messages that 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 this is what everybody is doing. Therefore, just go ahead because the world's doing this. This is what you are to do. Oh, if you don't, you're just a big weirdo and all this. I mean, let me give you a case in point. Last night, we were just trying to watch a little TV at our house. okay, with my kids. And every show that would come on, and it's not like this all the time, but every show, we just shows that you would think there would be nothing that would come up on every show. There was some kind of sexual innu- innuendo. There was some kind of perverted thing that was said. I'd have to change the channel. My kids would hear that, and I'd be like, good grief. We need to just go back to Andy Griffith. And that's what we watch a lot of. We do. We watch Andy Griffith on Netflix. My kids like it. We watch Andy Griffith. We watch the Dick Van Dyke show. We watch the shows like that. And because it's like it's become normalized in our culture. And we just go, oh, well. And we just let it into our homes. We let it into our families. and, and, And that's what happens. You will be tempted to sexual immorality. The enemy has control over the Internet. He has control over the media. He's called the prince of the airwaves. I mean, do we know this? Do we recognize this? It's so important. You can't even check out at a, uh, at a grocery store stand without being just assaulted as a man with all of these 
magazines that, that aren't even considered pornography, but it's just like, oh, my goodness, my wife, she turns them around the other way. And uh, she does. She's one of the ones that does it, okay? And um, do you know what Paul said about sexual immorality for you as a believer and for me? This is what he said. This is how you are to stand against it. Let me show you. Flee sexual immorality. He doesn't say, hang in there, you'll overcome this. He said, man, you just need to get out of there. Because you're not strong enough in your own power. We are all weak when it comes to this particular area. We all have weaknesses. As I have said, I've watched men that I have known to be very godly men and godly women that have fallen flat on their faces because the enemy has ticked them off in this particular area. You need, to, you need to be aware of this. We need to. We started a series today where your kids, and you were alerted of this, your kids, we are beginning to teach them what God has to say. As we come alongside what you should be teaching them about what God has to say, we're wanting to come along and reinforce what, what God has to say about sex. And if you don't think your kids are being assaulted day in and day out, you are naive. And church, we have to teach what the Bible says about it. Sex is not sinful. Sex is not wrong. It is a gift from God to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. And we need to celebrate that. We need to preach that. We need to teach that. And, and I was just thinking I'd hear a lot more men say amen there. All right? and, uh, but, but here's the deal. He says get out of there. Here's another thing that he will tempt you with, to be preoccupied with the world. Do you know the enemy wants you to be preoccupied with worldliness? With just worldly junk that will just dominate your time, your, your pocketbook, your talents won't be used for God. And, and look at what Timothy would even, or Paul would say to Timothy. He said this, for Demas, in love with this present world. I think we had, there it is. For Demas, in love with this present world. Here's a good question to ask yourself. Are you in love with this world and the stuff that the world has to offer? I know I have to keep myself in check. Look what he says. He's deserted me. He just left me because he's in love with this world. Satan wants to tempt you to trust your own resources. He wants to tempt you to be discouraged by your hardships. Remember last week we said... How many of you are discouraged? You see hands in every service now. More hands went up than hands were going down. I'll put it to you that way. And that just really, as a pastor, just really, I wasn't surprised, but I became concerned this week. And I said, God's people need to know this. They need to know how to do battle. They need to know how to fight. They need to quit fighting in their own power and take God's armor and use it. He loves for Christians to just get so discouraged and tired of it all and doubting God because when we do without peace and without joy, we are rendered ineffective. And this is what scripture says. He says, Peter says this, and I want you to see how this is this joy issue and this concern and this worry issue is connected with the devil, with the devil here. Look at what he says. Give all your worries and all your cares to God. Now that's going to speak to some of you right now, and that's what you need to do. Right now, you need to give it to him. Give all of it to God. Why? Because he does care for you. 
And the enemy has been telling you that he does not, but he does. And now look at what he's going to say, Christian. Now stay alert. Why? This is connected. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. A lion roars whenever he has his prey captured. He also roars to cause fear. He roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. A number of you raised your hands last week and said, man, my lunch is just getting easy right now. Could it be you've been fighting in your own power? Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world, that they are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. You're not alone in this. As you saw last week, hands went up. You're not the only one that feels this way. Because he'll try to tell you you're the only one. You're the only one. And, and we just need to come together and encourage each other. And, and he's going to tell you, if you kept reading this, we don't have time. He's going to tell you this is temporal. He's going to tell you you stand firm. This is just a testing time. You're, you're going to be made uh, you know, strong uh, in the midst of this as you place your faith in God. He's going to tell you that God's on your side. Hang in there. Don't be discouraged. It's going to pass. Just keep reading that passage and you'll see that. We don't have time to get into it. So when you're beginning to feel discouraged or this cloud of depression is coming around you and it's chasing you as it will often me, we need to be alerted to the fact that we have likely started trying to fight in our own strength and in our own power. And what Paul is going to say, no, you're going to be rendered ineffective. You're going to lose. You're going to feel defeated. Instead, he's going to say, now here we are in Ephesians 6. He's going to say, you need to put on this armor. Put it on. The armor of God. He's going to talk about in the first part of Ephesians that you've been adopted as a son and a daughter of God. He's going to talk about how you have been equipped to serve as a servant of God. And now in chapter 6, he's going to say you've been enlisted as a soldier of God. And he's going to show you in Ephesians chapter 6 that this is how you are to stand your ground. Look at what he says. Let's read it again. A final word, he says. A final word. Be strong in the Lord. Now, I didn't say this last week, but I want you to understand this. In the original language here, in the Greek, this is a, an imperative, which it means it's a command. You be strong in the Lord. That's a command to you, Christian. Now, it's a passive imperative. And what that means is that you are to allow the Lord to strengthen you. Now, how are you to allow the Lord to strengthen you? Here's the active part of it. Here's the active imperative. Go with me to the next verse. Now, he's going to say, and in his mighty power, here's the active imperative. You put on all of God's armor. To be strengthened in the Lord, you must do your part in putting on the armor of God. To be strong in the Lord, the passive imperative, here's the active and look what he says, so that you will be able to stand firm against all of the, what's the word? Strategy. We just talked about some of the strategies. You'll be able to stand firm against all of the strategies of the devil. The creating doubt, the motivating persecution, all those things we just talked about. The temptations to sin, all of this stuff. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on, now this is really key, every, every piece of God's armor. Why 
why do you think it's important that you have all of these on? Because if you don't, then you have an area of weakness. Every piece of God's armor, he says, put it on. All right? That's your part. You allow God to strengthen you by putting on the armor and, and therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. When is the time of evil? It is the days in which we are living with until Christ returns. Every day is the day of evil in which we live in right now. You can stand firm. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. You won't be floundering in your faith because you have the armor of God on. You will be still filled with peace and joy, even though circumstances all around you maybe are not ideal and are difficult, you are holding your ground. Instead of giving ground all of the time to the enemy, and this is what we do. He says, stand firm. You fight with what God has given you. Now notice the imperatives. These are all imperatives, which means they're commands. Go with me here. Verse 14. Stand your ground. Some of you just need to hear that today. Quit giving in. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth. In the original language, it actually says having put on. What the, these first three pieces of armor, what, what in essence this says is you are to put them on and leave them on. The last three pieces of armor, the, the, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, those are ones that you're going to have to, the helmet of salvation, those are ones you're going to have to pick up daily and use them on. These first three, you put them on, you leave them on, they are to become a part of you. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness, that's called the breastplate of righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be, what does it say? Fully what? prepared are you prepared and i don't think a lot of times we are i think we get just kind of waylaid by the enemy and we're caught off guard we're not fully prepared and the next thing you know it's like what in the world we don't stand our ground he says in addition to all of these we'll look at these next week the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit. We're going to talk about, you need to hear this. We're going to talk about how to wield the sword next week. That is an offensive weapon. That It's defensive, but it's also offensive. And you are to use that. It says this, that as a church, we should be going against the gates of hell. And that it shall not prevail against us. That means we're moving forward, okay? We're not just always on the defensive. We're taking ground is what we're to be doing. And so he says, put on these things, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayer for all believers everywhere. There's a theme. It's standing firm. It's persistent. It's consistency. It's not giving in. It's, it's trusting in God. It's putting on this armor. The bottom line is, is you don't have to be defeated. You don't have to. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be defeated. You are a victor in Christ. Just very quickly, let me give you just what you've been armored with. Just real quick, the first three. You've been well armored with what's called the belt of truth. The belt of truth. As Paul was imprisoned, he was likely uh, surrounded by Roman soldiers. And so he's going to use a great metaphor. The, the Ephesian believers and everybody else would know what the armor of a Roman soldier would look like. 
They were familiar with it. They saw it. They'd been conquered by it. And so he's going to just point them to this and say, this is what this looks like, okay? They have a belt of truth. So when he would say the belt, they, they knew what it looked like there, okay? And it was, it was either made out of leather or chain mail, and, and they would, uh, it wasn't just a nice accessory as sometimes belts would be for us today. As I have lost weight, I have realized the necessity of a belt, okay? And uh, not only for my good, but for the good of all of those around me. And so... It's not just something just to kind of, well, that just nicely brings that armor all together. It had a purpose. You would take a cloak or they would wear this undercloak or this tunic. And when they were getting ready for battle, they would take that cloak and they would tuck it into that belt. If they were about to run or engage in battle, they didn't want their legs to be hindered in any kind of way or be tripped up. The belt was used in that manner. The belt also held the sword in place. It just kind of held everything in place. It's what it meant. In in the King James, it would say, gird up your loins, right? Okay? That's what it means. It means be ready. Be prepared. You're ready to do battle. It holds it all in place. And he says this truth is what holds it all in place in your life. What is the truth? It's the word of God. You're being assaulted with lies every day. Lies that are coming. These lies that are coming against you and, and will be whispered in your ear. This is what you are. You're no good. You're worthless. Now, because you know the truth of who you are, you stand against that. I'm a son of God. I'm a co-heir of Christ. I've been sealed by God. I've been forgiven. All of these things, right, that you know is truth. It's the truth of God's word against the sinister lies of the enemy. It holds it all together. Here's what else this truth is. Now that you know who you are, this is how you are to act with integrity. So that you walk with a clear conscience. It's the truth. You're walking in truthfulness of who you are. As a believer, there's no duplicity within you. You are who God says you are. This is just, this is what it means to walk with authenticity. It doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. But when you do mess up, you're just real. You're transparent. You confess it. You repent of it. You don't pretend to be perfect, but you, you apply God's truth to your life. Here's the other part of this armor. It's called the breastplate of righteousness. The body armor of God is the way the NLT puts it. This breastplate of righteousness would go on top of of this soldier's um, torso area here. It would be fitted over to protect the vital organs, to protect his heart, to protect these organs here. And, And mainly it was, I believe, to protect the heart. This is why Paul is talking about this, because the heart was so important to the to, to the Jewish culture. It was what made up our mind, our will, and our emotions. And Paul would say, Solomon would say, others would say, you need to protect the heart, for it is what? The wellspring of life. You need to protect that. And how do we protect that? Both passively and actively, okay? Passively, you are now the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? We've learned that. So passively, you are strengthened when the enemy comes against you and he condemns you and he accuses you. You are able to stand against that with with truth and say, that's not me now. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's our memory verse, right? I am new. The old is gone. The new has come. I am the righteousness of Jesus Christ because of his grace. You stand against that because of righteousness. But here is what it means for you actively. 
now that you know who you are, this is how you are to live. You are to live as a saint of God. You are to live as holy. This is the holiness that's in your life. This is you following God's principles. This is righteousness so that any assault that comes against you and your integrity and and holy, this is standing against sexual immorality. This is you standing against temptations that the enemy will come against. This is this breastplate of righteousness that protects your heart. Solomon said, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Here's the last thing, the boots of peace. The boots of peace, last thing we'll talk about, then we'll talk about the the sword, the shield, and the helmet of salvation next week. The boots of peace, though, it's been said about the Roman conquest that the successes that they experienced were greatly due to the fact that they were well-equipped and especially equipped when it came to shoes. The, the, the Roman soldier wore an open-toed spiked shoe which laced up past his ankles. It would be kind of like a football cleat that uh, was a high top that you'll see a lot of offensive and defensive linemen wearing. It gives them great support. And, and they would wear this, and it, and it gave them traction whenever they were doing hand-to-hand combat. Their war was often close quarters. And so they would be able to stand ground, whereas others were not as equipped in their shoes. Since I started running, one of the things that I know for sure is that you had better have the right kind of shoes. Because if you don't, you are prone to injury. You are prone to losing ground. And, and they had a great pair of shoes. And all the women said, amen, right? Okay. They needed great shoes, and this is what they have. And so here's what it means when it comes to the boots of peace. These, these, the gospel of peace. It's, it's a twofold aspect. It means this. One, here's the passive and the active part of this. It means this passively is that because you're in Jesus Christ now, peace between you and God has been made. Right? You're the righteousness of Jesus. You have this peace with Christ. You are no longer an enemy of God. If you're not in Jesus Christ, Scripture says you're still an enemy of God. But Jesus came. You have peace in that way. Here's what else it means. Now look at this. The second quality of this peace of God is this, is that you have peace in the midst of difficulties and circumstances that are difficult around you. And some of you are right in the middle of that. This is going to hit you right where you live. Paul would say this in Philippians, and the peace of God, he says, which surpasses all human understanding. It's that peace of God that you can't even explain it. That people are wondering how you can have that. Will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's that peace of God that gives you firm footing, readiness with the gospel of peace, that even when difficulties come your way, you don't lose ground. You have firm footing. Are you following me? What he's saying. You have peace with God as a believer. You have peace with God. It's whenever people say to you, when you go through hardships and stuff, this is one of the great, greatest witnessing opportunities is when you're going through difficulty and yet you still have peace. And people say, man, how are you okay right now? Well, you can say, I still grieve. I still mourn. I still struggle. But God has given me a peace. And I just, truthfully, I don't know how people do it without Christ. They don't. We're going to wrap that up, and we'll look at the rest of it next week. 
But here's what I just want to ask you in closing, okay? Are there some areas that are strategies of the enemy that you can see clearly today? Okay, I recognize some of this. I see this is what's going on. And how are you, you know, just, just some great questions. Are you walking in truth? Are you putting on this, this equipment that God is giving you? Are you trying to fight these battles on your own? We're going to talk more about it next week. I want you to think of these strategies of the enemies. Are you discouraged today? Are you living with lingering doubt? Some of you, maybe you're being ridiculed at work for your faith or at school. Have you allowed the enemy to, to deceive you into thinking that your battle is with another person and not with him? I mean, there are all kinds of applications for you today. I want to ask you just to pray with me. What about peace in your life? Do you have it? Or are you living with great anxiety due to your circumstances? God would say, put on this armor, leave it on, stand firm. Do you remember what Peter said? I want to come back to what he said. Give your cares to God. Cast all your cares upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. That's what some of you just need to hear that today. Maybe you're just worried, you're anxious, you're joyless. Jesus Christ. God would say, pay your cares today. I care about you. Be strengthened in me. Put on the armor. Some of you would just say, Pastor, I just need prayer. You just pray for me. You don't even have to tell me what it is. I just want to pray for you. You would just say, maybe I'm just weary. Maybe I'm just struggling. Would you just pray with me today? If that's you, this is a safe place. This is to be a house of prayer. If you just need prayer, would you just lift your hands? I just want to pray for you. Can we just pray together right now? Just go to God in prayer. Can we just do battle together? Many hands. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the strength that is found in it. I pray, Lord, that every believer here would be encouraged by your word. We would be empowered by your word. These believers would walk out of here knowing who they are in Jesus Christ. Lord, for some of them, you will change their circumstances. For some of them, Lord, you won't at this point. But may they be able to stand firm. Give them just your special discernment, God be able to see the strategies of the enemy that that are being used against them. To have wisdom to know how to stand firm. Lord, where we've been fighting our battles in our own strength, may we just confess that to you, Lord, as sin of self-reliance. Lord, instead, as we confess it, we're made righteous before you, Lord, and we are forgiven. May we be strengthened, God, by the fact that want to fight this battle for us. You've told us that the battle is yours. It's not ours. And I thank you for that truth. I thank you, Lord, for not sending us out into battle ill-equipped, but for giving us everything that we need. May we use the equipment you've been given, that we have been given, that you've given to us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our strong Savior, and all God's people say, Hope you come back next week. We're wrapping the series up. We're going to wrap up the armor of God. Kyle has a few announcements for you. Let's take up God's tithes and offerings. Kyle?